five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 Dilly D! Bam bam bam! Well, some of us are trying to. John, please. Who said that? Which one of y'all dead motherfuckers just said that shit? Was it you, String Bean? You skinny ass looking motherfucker. Turn around and say it again. Turn around and say it again. Turn around and say it Will again. Will you please be quiet? John, that is the President of the United States. I don't care who it is. He oh, now you fucked up. Now you fucked up. Now you fucked up! You have fucked up now! Now you fucked up! 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 Now you have fucked up! Mr. President, will you please be quiet? Suck my presidential cock, bitch! You fat ass piece of shit! You tubalard looking motherfucker! What? 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 Hey! What? What? Huh? I don't know why you're looking up at me, bitch. Plays on stage. I'm not putting on a play up here. I'm trying to be entertained right now. Mr. President, be quiet. John, calm down. Listen to the woman, John. Calm down. Just calm down. Calm down. Just calm down. If you can hear that, that's a bottled beer, baby, because I'm drinking bottled tonight with my friend Edwin and two special guest stars. Edwin, how the hell are you? I'm doing good. I'm drinking. That's me tapping my glass of scotch on my desk here. Johnny uh, I Walker. I got a glass desk, so if I tap this beer on there, it'll probably break, and <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> this is cheap wood, and it's cheap glass, so it actually uh, it makes it stronger, actually. The cheaper something is, the stronger. A lot of people don't know that. It's the truth. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's not based on any science. It's just bullshit. Anyway, Johnny Walker, Black Label, drinking it. I've been drinking. I've been listening to this album all day long. It's driven me mad. And, uh, yeah, I got the scotch. And we've got two very, very, very special guests. Not we got to have two guests for an uh, album as monumental as this one. The one and only, the real, the real Billy Shears. The one and only Dr. Fuck, who fucking <laughs> owns Billy Shears. Mr. Ralph Vieira, returning back to the show. Well, I got a question for you. Okay. Oh, yeah, what is you it? believe in love at first sight. See what I did there? I threw the question to you instead of you guys bothering Billy Shears with all those fucking questions. See, I threw it back at you guys. The power yeah, Billy Shears already wrote me a already sent me a restraining order. Fucking yeah. asshole. All I can say about that is bang bang pizza skull smack. I'm a goblin. Check it out, guys. You know what I'm drinking? Oh, what are you drinking? Ostrich urine. Ooh. Yeah. Hey, you got the got the high price shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard if you drink enough of this, you, you no longer are a keyboard warrior, so I'm, tr I'm trying to stop being a douchebag online, so everybody <laughs> out there, drink ostrich urine and be cured of being a 
uh, internet warrior. Thanks. It's outlawed in like most countries, I hear. Yeah, well, I got cat in. Urine here in Indiana. Yeah, it's outlawed everywhere but America. <laughs> Little old America, where you can drink the piss of an ostrich. God damn it! <laughs> Man, he sucks getting it out of him. I, 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 like, I thought they'd pee. I didn't know they'd pee on their own. I thought I'd jerk that shit out. No, I think that's another substance that comes out of an ostrich that you're trying to achieve there. Oh, there is a little white in this fucking urine, I noticed. Oh, (laughs) that gives you extra power. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Uh, And we have also on this show, Ryan T. Russell. Or is it just Ryan Russell? Should we say the T, Ryan? You can say either, but since all of my... uh, Appearances on podcasts to this date have had that T thrown in. We'll, we'll stick with the T. You gotta What's keep the T in there. What does the T stand for, Ryan? Yeah, Terrence. Oh no! no. My dad's name. <laughs> is your dad Terrence? <laughs> My dad is Terrence. Oh, Terrence needs Terrence Reard needs to change his fucking name. <laughs> dad shouldn't have to deal with that. It's kind of like well, Karen. That name's been spoiled for a lot of Karen. Really yeah. Thank God it's just my middle name. <laughs> now I tell people that, hey, the T stands for tits. <laughs> I think Mr. T. Mr. Ooh. T, motherfucker. No, no, there's already Mr. T. Yeah, but that's a cool... Mr. T's cool. Anyway, I'm not letting him steal that name. <laughs> <laughs> you're, oh, you're, you're taking it back. You're taking Terrence back. Yeah. yeah. Spell yes. differently, too. Yeah. Well, they, oh, well, that's good. That's okay, good. yeah. Yeah, Ryan, a lot of uh, people might have heard Ryan on the Rock and Metal Combat podcast, and this is his first time being on the Rock All Over You podcast, but he has he has been mentioned on the show before, and he's helped us. He's created He creates these <laughs> awesome list, like that awesome Thin Lizzy list that he did using... I thought you were using some kind of program, but apparently you were just using your fucking brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's a smart man right there. I'm, just like, a, I'm a numbers guy. The beautiful mind shit. Do you see like the equations like floating in the air, like in a beautiful mind? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's also working on. Uh, he's doing a rush list for uh, Mark for an episode of uh, Freeform that I'm going to be on in yeah. the future. Top Rush songs. Oh wow! Been working on that actually this weekend. Oh, that's oh that's, nice. That's like the perfect band to do an egghead equation for. No, no, no. You'd be a complete egghead if you put fucking anything from Power Windows and that <laughs> Bubble album on that fucking top of it. And don't, and if Freeform Rock podcast, chances are they will. <laughs> hey, Eric here, uh, not, not, not to, uh. I did a review on Power Windows for Freeform. I, Eric I've actually it. really grown to like that album. <laughs> I'm an egghead. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That album sucks. <laughs> we, we all have our own crazy taste. As I think Ralph once said, we, we all like stuff that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no band out there that's immune to criticism. None. Even the Beatles. Good yep. segue. Good segue. Good segue. Oh, yeah. I, this is going to be very interesting. Um, I'm going to just say this. We're not going to talk about, like, we'll get to the tracks by tracks, so we're not going to totally spoil it but i think it's good eric to discuss the one headline about this album which is interesting yeah is, this is eric's favorite beatles album my favorite album of all time it's his favorite album of all time and it's my least favorite beatles album 
<laughs> so it's going to be a fair. So I, we're hoping that Ryan and Ralph, you guys, will be the sensible people in the middle. <laughs> dude, 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 seriously, you like Yellow Submarine over this album? Okay, well, okay, I don't really count Yellow Submarine as uh, an please, album. Please, okay, please. Uh, yeah, I don't really count it as an album. If we just count it like an EP, like of the new songs. I do prefer that because I like Hey Bulldog better than anything on this album. Uh, hey Whoa. Bulldog is one of my favorite Beatles songs. So well, I mean, that, that makes this a perfect album for you guys to do. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> and I, I have no idea what Ryan thinks about this. I know Ryan likes some underdog uh, Beatle albums like Beatles for Sale and stuff like I do. But I just, and just Ralph, because I know what Ralph's thinking right now. He's thinking this Eddie motherfucker, he's being counterculture. I'm not being counterculture. No, no I don't think that. I, I, mean, know, I, I know counterculture people, do. Yeah, I'm not a counterculture guy. And I like some. My top three favorite Beatles albums are all very popular albums The White Album, Revolver, Rubber Soul. I love Abbey Road. You know, that's. I think that's the most popular album to be talking to people. Seems like most people like either Abbey Road or Rubber Soul or Revolver most. I when feel I, like, I feel like it's the White Album and Abbey Road lately have been like everyone's like favorites. Yeah, the hard rock people a lot like the White Album too because it's a little more hard rocking than some of the others. But I, I this is the thing about Sgt. Pepper. I know everyone loves it and it's a masterpiece, and I'm not saying it's not a masterpiece. Like, and this is one thing Ralph and I talk a lot about is people get really butt hurt, butt hurt about opinions. Like, just because we we like something or don't like something, if you don't like an album that a lot of people like, then they get like, oh, what's wrong with you? Why don't you like it? Why don't you like it? And they take it personally. And it's mm -hmm. just like, I'm not saying, like, I'm not even saying best. I don't like best saying this is the best album. Like, it's some fucking scientific thing, you know? It's it's just favorite. Like, when I do those Rankaramas, I always say... This is not me saying what's the best album. No one knows what's the best album. If, if it's your favorite album, then it's the best album for you. You know, it's just it's just whatever you dig, you know? Well, I would like to say this about Sgt. Pepper. No, my favorite is Rubber Soul. Then I would say White Album. Then I would say Help, you know? I love all Beatles. Help's good. I love all Beatles albums. But the thing about, you know, Sgt. Pepper isn't my favorite. But there's no denying it might not be the best album for everybody, but for everybody, it's the most important album, whether you want to admit it or not. All you Beatles haters that disrespect and don't understand the importance of the rock album, Sgt. Pepper's would start it all. Yeah, I agree. That's the thing, is even though it's my least favorite Beatles album, A, I don't think the Beatles released any bad albums. Same. Uh, I think this is a good album. I do like it. Actually, I think it's a great album. I think it's one of the best albums ever recorded. Definitely one of the most important albums. It's just the Beatles album I go to, I go back to the least. It's I have to be in a very specific mood to want to listen to Sgt. Pepper. It's like going out to the to the theater. Or going out to you know, see an art, go to an art museum or something. Like I feel like it's like that, you know. It's not like it's not like just a rock and roll record you just slam on and just kind of want to listen to for a bunch of catchy songs like a lot of their other albums. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's more than an album; it's a fucking experience. Exactly. Sons yeah. Pepper is more like Oscar's year on. You gotta be in the mood. <laughs> you gotta be yeah. in the mood. It's a lot like that, and, and it's like obviously it's one of the most important albums ever. I do think. Revolver uh, is just as important, if not more important, in its way, but doesn't get quite the same 
attention thrown at it, although it does seem to be more liked by people, which is interesting. But if we do a Revolver episode, we'll talk about Revolver. Right now, <laughs> we're talking about Sgt. Pepper. So, Ralph, you go first. What's your history? I mean, do you remember the first time you heard Sgt. Pepper? or like what? If, what how close was it to when you first heard about the Beatles? <laughs> well, my first memory in life was the Beatles. Um, yeah. I was born a, a year to the day after they played at Sullivan. It was on February 9th, 1964. But I remember the Beatles all through my, uh, you know, my first memory was like, you know, I can't remember specifically the song, but we're looking at a radio on a windowsill. And it was either eight days a week or maybe help. I'm not sure what, or Ticket to Ride even. But um, I never really, because, you know, when I grew up, I wasn't really a music guy. And then when I got into music, I, I wasn't, I was all into the heavy shit, so Beatles, I came into the Beatles very late. The only Beatles album I owned, so I bought the box set of CDs when I didn't know none of the Beatles albums, but when they all came out on CD, there was a box set that, um, it was like 89, 90 is when I first heard the Beatles, like everything. So that was like the first time they were put on CD, right? Well, yeah, I mean, they were put, I, I may be wrong, but I believe they always put out a Beatles CD on the anniversary of that album. They didn't put them all out at once. Okay. So when they all came out, they made a box set thing, and I bought it. But before that, the only thing I owned from the Beatles was the Blue album, that Blue Greatest Hits one? Yeah. Of the later period. That's the only thing I ever, but I dug it. I dug everything I heard about the Beatles that finally, when it all... I just, I don't know, I, I don't know why I didn't want to go out and buy them individually, but it was enticing going, you know what, man, I love everything I've heard from the Beatles. I'm going to buy this box set, let me find some more songs. And yeah, I buy the box set and I find out, wait a second, there's even better songs in the fucking hits, you know, through all this shit. So I, I've become a beat fanatic since 1990, really, and that's when, you know, I just started really because I started to hear all these songs that I had no idea like like off this album for instance Lovely Read I was like god damn you know it was one of the songs that stuck out and I'm so tired from the White Album I can go on and on man every yeah. <laughs> every album you know had a just awesome song I was the same way with uh, like Hot Rocks with the Stones for years that that's what I feel like the Blue Album was for you like it was so complete in a way yeah. like but like falsely complete. You didn't realize that it wasn't that complete. But you listened to it and it was like, oh, I feel like I got all the stones I needed. And then when I actually listened to their their albums years later, I was like, oh shit, Hot Rocks are just scraping the surface. Yeah, exactly. And that's what those that blue and red album is. You know? Yeah. So the yep. first time the first time I ever heard Sgt. Pepper was when I binged the Beatles. You know, when I put on all those fucking CDs at once. You know, I mean, you know, not not at once, but you know, I mean, through the, through the week, you know, I put on two or three at a time. Did you listen to them in order, like chronologically? Yes, exactly in order. I started actually with Past Masters, because that, that came in there as well. Yeah. Past Masters. So I put that one on first, because, hey, these are the hits. I know these ones. Let me, you know, uh, ease into this. So I put that on. Then I heard stuff like This Boy and I Call Your Name. I forgot who it was, man. Somebody the other day was talking about. Like, there's a video on YouTube of the Beatles' worst songs. And one of them was, uh, I Call Your Name, and I was like, wow. What? That's fucked up. Pizza, that is fucked up. Right? That would make a list of one of their bad songs? I mean, I can think of a hundred other ones, like, 
you call my name, you got my number, you know, shit like that. Like, I, I know I was just saying that everything's taste and you can't, like, quantify taste, but you know what? Th- that's just wrong. <laughs> that's yeah. wrong. It, it's, You're, it's like I can understand if somebody doesn't like it, but if for it to make the list is different. It's like, yeah. wait a second. Is like, I, I don't... Yeah, like, I don't hate Mr. Moonlight, but I get why people hate it. Oh, 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 Edwin. I, I, I don't hate... I, I disagree. I don't hate... I, I like fucking hate that song. <laughs> I don't. I hate Most that. I hate Kansas City. I can't stand those fucking songs. I don't, I don't hate them, but I get it, but I get it. Like, I listen to it, and I go, I like this song, um, but, but, I, but I understand why people I hate won't it. Say, I won't say Mr. Moonlight belongs on the list. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm just one person. You know, and it wasn't on one of the worst Beatles songs, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, I mean, for me, oh, there, there's, and it's mostly covers of the earlier ones that, and then there's, you know, there's a couple on, there's, believe it or not, one I really don't like, and it's a very popular one, is While My Guitar Gently Weaves. I never, yeah, ever liked that when I found that out. I was like, I don't, it just bores me, and the, the acoustic version's a tinge better, but I still don't like it. You don't like that the the cool bass line from Paul? He's laying that as cool. Well, like, okay. Well, uh, I'll listen to it again. I'm talking as a song. <laughs> I don't even, now that you're saying that, I'm like, how did the bass line go? You know? Oh, it's <laughs> badass. It goes like doom 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 doom. It's kind of heavy. Oh yeah. Okay. Now I remember. The thing is, Paul Paul McCartney, his bass playing, it's like so I don't know. It's it's like so in the pocket with. The different notes he chooses for songs and melodies. I don't think there's a better bass player when it comes to pop music than than structuring killer songs than than Paul McCartney. He, I think he's the best as a bass player. Like, you know, you can be impressive like Entwistle, who's my favorite bass player, but Paul McCartney added this, you know, these little notes during songs that are just fuck, man. That's the. It's like he knows exactly. What's the perfect, you know, like, hey, us mere mortals would write a song, and you bring in Paul McCartney, you know, you write a little pop song, you bring in Paul McCartney with a bass, 1967, it just saved the fucking song. The guy's a genius. And he, he deserves, he's like the richest rock star, he has over a billion dollars. Yeah. You know, so fucking yeah, man, justice. Yeah, he deserves all of it, oh, and yeah. you're right, and his, uh, his genius is all over this album like even though it's my least favorite Beatles album like I said I do recognize it objectively as a work of high art and and don't get me wrong there are there are a handful of songs I do love from this album but it's the only Beatles album that actually has three songs I don't like I don't have any other Beatles album where I can count that many songs I don't like again I'm not counting like the the George Martin like instrumental stuff on Yellow Submarine. I'm not counting that as a real album. Uh, and there's actually my least favorite Beatles song is actually on this album. I hate. I hate what? Yep, my least favorite Beatles song is. Oh, on this you album. know, yeah. There's a lot of people that I know it's not your. It's no, no, no it's not. It's not the one that you're thinking. Oh, okay. I know. I know the one you're thinking. There's one that people say all the time, which I'm not crazy about. I'll say that. <laughs> but but it's not my least favorite. And what were you saying, Ralph? Uh, I forgot. All right. Hey, Ryan, why don't you tell us about, because uh, from what Evans told me, you're a big Beatles guy, so why don't you tell us about kind of how you discovered the Beatles and this album in particular? Okay, so um, the Beatles are, I'm like Ralph, where they're kind of like the first thing I remember. Uh, 
Um, I, I don't have any recollection of life without the Beatles. And the thing that's interesting is I got into them because my dad had a handful of their albums in his collection, but my dad wasn't even really a big Beatles fan. He actually he was one of those people, he liked a handful of their albums, <clears throat> but he would call them overrated. He would say, I, I don't get it like other people get it. My, but my dad was you know, an enormous music fan. He had you know, a, probably a thousand album you know, vinyl, obviously, at that time. I'm, I'm, I'll be 50 in October, so if you get, you know, this is little Ryan, six, seven years old, just digging through <laughs> my dad's albums. And, you know, I, I was just, you know, my dad was in a, a, if you guys are familiar with, like, the Free Penny Opera or uh, Kingston Trio, um, old folk music from the 50s, that my dad was actually in a band in Detroit that did that kind of music. He paid his way through college singing in one of these quartet bands. So he was a huge, huge music fan, and he liked a little bit of everything, um, but, you know, just a generation ahead of me, and I actually ended up just kind of stealing the Beatles albums he had, and he didn't even care because he just wasn't a huge Beatles fan. And the, the first albums that I was really into, Rubber Soul, my dad actually had that on 8-track too, so we listened to it in the car. He, he had the hip, cool Toyota Corolla that had an 8-track player in the car, cool. which was you know and this was the 78 it, this is what you know when this this is 78 79 when he had this in his in his car and you know i'm at the time seven eight years old and uh just became obsessed with the beatles very very early um and then you know when i started buying my own records i started filling in the holes he had rubber soul he had revolver he had uh and these are like the Capitol albums, like the original U.S. version? A little bit of everything. He also had the Blue album that, that Ralph was talking about, which I listened to a ton. Um, that really is, I mean, if I was going to start somebody with the Beatles, I would probably give them that if you just said, like, one greatest hits compilation. That double uh, CD, double album, whatever you want to call it, the Blue, uh, I think it's 67 to 70. Yeah, it corrects me if I'm wrong, but it kind of began here, right? On this era. Like, isn't Strawberry Fields the first song on it? Yeah, it's 6770, and uh, yeah, it's basically Magical Mystery Tour at the end of their career. Yeah. Um, and, and for me, it's not a coincidence that I listened to that album a ton when I was very first into them, but it's also my favorite era of the band. Um, I love Rubber Soul. I, as Edwin had mentioned earlier, or Eddie, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Ed, Eddie had mentioned earlier the um, Beatles for Sale. Yeah, the, the Beatles for Sale. That's one of those just underrated Beatles albums. I think it's the worst-selling Beatles album of all time for their studio albums. And I love that album. But I didn't really even know that album from start to finish until way later, when I was like probably like 17, 18, 19 years old. It took me a while to go back and buy all the early stuff because... A, I didn't like it as much as the later stuff, and B, like I said, my dad didn't have those albums. So I didn't have Please Please, Please Me. I didn't have Beatles for Sale. I didn't have Help. I didn't have anything prior to Rubber Soul, because Rubber Soul was the first album that my dad actually liked, but he thought they were evolving a little bit. They were more, like, he just looked at them as like a pop, a pop band, like that, you know, girls went and screamed at. It seems like that. My parents, uh, their Beatles record collection started with Revolver. 
they had every album from Revolver on, but they didn't even have Rubber Soul. They had nothing. Yeah, I, I, I think for, for people, you got to keep in mind, you know, my dad at that point is in his mid-20s. He's not a teenager. And, you know, he was into a lot of kinds, different kinds of music, but the last thing he was into was pop. And the Beatles, for, you know, all it's worth at that time, were just, you know, a pop band. Yeah. And, you know, a girl friendly pop band and you know it's one of the reasons they eventually stopped touring because just all the screaming but um <clears throat> so anyway in a roundabout way that's you know i've been a beatles my first favorite band and they've been my favorite band forever this album in particular my dad had so you know i heard it right off the bat and you know i'll kind of save my overall thoughts on the album for as as we go on here but you know in general you know I think it's possible for an album to be overrated but still be unbelievable. And, and that's the general category I, w I would put the album in. <clears throat> I, I think it's a little overrated just because I think there's way too many people when they're starting with the Beatles start with this album. And if you were asking me as a bit huge Beatles fan where to start, I wouldn't even think of starting with this. Yeah, I think it depends on your taste. I mean, definitely if you're a hard rock fan, I would not pick Sgt. Pepper. It, it, that's the funny thing is I think it's sandwiched between two albums that are a little bit better for hard rock bands, especially the one before it. Revolver is much more of a hard rock record, I think. There's, yeah. There's a lot of, there's a handful of songs with like distorted <laughs> guitars and stuff. Whereas, I, I also think it's just important to kind of understand where they were before this to completely kind of understand this album. Yeah. Uh, so from that standpoint, that's another reason I would not start somebody with this. Just curious, Ralph. What, what do you think? What Beatles album would you recommend to someone starting with the Beatles? You know, I'd have to say Ryan hit it on the head, man. The blue one. Yeah, the blue one's a good sample platter. I think. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it, and it's you know a lot of hits, but there's a lot of kind of deeper tracks on that too, like you, you know, and some of the B sides of the singles. Um, you know, I remember like, I had a lot Biggie of Madonna. I had a lot of mystery. Uh, remember Bull that on the hill. Yeah, I mean it basically has all the new songs from uh, yeah. Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah, because I remember when I finally got Mystery Tour, I thought, hey, most of these songs were on the Blue album. Yeah, like, I remember <laughs> thinking that. And it's also a big reason why Magical Mystery Tour is one of my top two or three Beatles albums. Well, that that I, I I am a bigger fan of Mystery Tour than this album. And well, you're I, a bit, you're a fan of every Beatles album. Yeah, <laughs> according to your uh, Wrinkle Rama. <laughs> that's that's true. <laughs> that's right. I didn't think of it that way, but you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, even okay. Like I, like this is the thing. Please please me. For example, like obviously I can hear Sgt. Pepper's a better album than Please Please Me. But you know, Please Please Me is just a very like it's just a very likable, listenable album. Like it you just has you, you enjoy it more. Yeah, I mean, I love Anna, and I saw her standing there, and, you know, I just, it's just a nice little pop rock album. I think it's their weakest of their early albums, is please, I don't think the Beatles really got it going until the second album with the Beatles, that's when but, I think they kind of took it to another level. I really love Chains. Chains is a really good song, I too. I love the hell out of that song. For the longest time, I thought that was John Lennon. I didn't know. Me, too. George Harrison, what a great... And that's the first George Harrison song, really. Yeah, he sounds great on it. Also, I love Misery. I think Misery's a great Misery. song. Oh, Misery's amazing. Okay. Uh, there's a lot I like on there, but then there's a lot I just don't. 
Yeah, there are some there are some fluffy songs where they do like covers of like Burt Bacharach songs and stuff that yeah. sound like filler and sound like something that maybe EMI was kind of pushing them to do. And then the second album felt more like legit Beatles, where it's a little more rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but we'll, we'll you know at some point we'll do all their albums because they're the yeah. goddamn fucking Beatles. <laughs> Eric, how did you get introduced to Sgt. Pepper and the Beatles? I'm assuming your dad, right? Because you're no, because you're just a kid. <laughs> It was actually my mom. Uh, I, I've said before too, like uh, my dad mainly got me into heavy metal. My mom's the one that got me into more like the classic rock and everything. So like, okay, my, you know, bands like Sticks, the Beatles, and all these like more classic rock, hard rock bands. That was from my mom. Uh, also, my grand, my grandma um, on my mom's side uh, was also a huge Beatles fan. So they're almost kind of sentimental for me. Um, but, yeah, some of my earliest memories were of the Beatles. You know, my, my mom said, you know, when I was a baby, uh, when, when I was a baby, one of my favorite songs to listen to was Obla Di, Obla Da. Like, I would just, as a little kid, I'd go crazy running around in my fucking pampers and shit listening to that song. And, uh, but yeah, it wasn't until, it probably wasn't until, like, middle school when I really, like, went, like, balls deep into the Beatles discography. Um, and I'm one of those people... Um, I really like the whole, uh, I like the early Beatles, like, from, uh, from Help, actually, no, from Revolver Down. I love that era, and I feel like a lot of it's forgotten about. I feel a lot of people push that era to the side, like, everyone likes, like, the hippie era, which yeah. is amazing and revolutionary, but, man, I feel a lot of people really underestimate that early era, because they wrote some of the greatest, like, you know, pop songs ever. I think it's because, like, lyrically, because the early stuff's very simple. It's all, like, boy, yeah, boy meets I girl think... stuff. But musically, if you listen to the shit they were saying, and this is stuff Paul McCartney used to say a lot in interviews, it's actually more complicated from not a yeah. production standpoint, but from a musical standpoint. Like, they were using a lot of cool, interesting chords and stuff, and, mu and the melodies and the way they harmonized. Like, musically, it's really impressive stuff, their early records. But yeah. people are kind of... Yeah. I mean, you got to listen to that... Sometimes you gotta listen to those early albums with, like, the mindset of, like, this is, like, 63, 64, like, no one was writing stuff like this back, no one was really writing stuff like this back then. So, I mean, that was pretty revolutionary for that time. We may yeah. look at it now as very simplistic, but, you know, yeah, back like, then, like, they're back changing, then, changing like, the game. Back then, like, I Wanna Hold Your Hand was, like, a rockin' tune. Like, that's... It was, that, yeah. That's, like, proto-power pop. Yep. Know? Right there you know and you could hear the influence on like Chief Trick and Nirvana like Kirk Cobain's favorite uh, Beatles album was Meet the Beatles you know which was yep. the American version of With the Beatles and you can hear it you could totally hear it you know you listen to like About a Girl that sounds like a song from like an early Beatles song exactly yeah uh, yeah man it was middle school I really started going balls deep into the Beatles discography um, listened to all my mom's albums that she had and I started buying some Believe it or not, Sgt. Pepper was actually, it was my least favorite for a while. I just could not get into it. It took me a while. I don't think it was, it wasn't even until I was like in my 20s that I finally like heard that album and really got into it and just developed this, you know, like a, a personal connection, but then also realizing the genius of it. But man, the Beatles have been, you know, they're one of the greatest bands in the world, man, and they're in my top 10. Uh, there's other bands I like a little bit more personally, but the Beatles are, you know, they're the best band in the world. Without the Beatles, there would be, you know, all these bands we love now, they wouldn't exist without the fucking Beatles. You know, nobody, in, no two bands in the world have influenced more people than uh, Kiss and the Beatles, in my opinion. 
two of just the best. Well, and, and Kiss was very influenced by the Beatles, so there you exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah. And I discovered Kiss, and I discovered Kiss first. You know, I discovered Kiss when I was like six years old, and so I knew a lot about the. I went and discovered the Beatles and found out a lot about the Beatles through my love of Kiss. So, like, I kind of, you know, most people discovered the Beatles and then Kiss, whereas I did kind of the the reverse. So, yeah, I mean, the Beatles, one of the greatest bands ever, and obviously Sgt. Pepper is, you know, we all know, as I've admitted, my favorite album of all time. So, Edwin, why don't you uh, talk about how you discovered the Beatles before we dive into this album? Yeah, I'll make this quick, and I'm going to, like, pull a Bill Wang here. Just going to say, <laughs> go, go to my video. <laughs> and I have a video on YouTube, my Beatles rank of Rama. That's where I go into detail about my history at the Beatles. So if you want the long, full story and you want to hear about the first time I took acid was the same <laughs> the first time I listened to the White Album, <laughs> then go watch that goddamn video. It's very entertaining. But also listen to this episode as well. Do both. Do both. Come Watch on. that video and spread your che- spread your ass cheeks on that subscribe button. Yeah, totally subscribe. Come on, this is good content. We're giving you good content here. Yeah. Uh, uh, but just to make it sh- short and snappy, because so, Ralph and Ryan are, I'm sure, eager to t- dig into this album. My, you know, like a lot of people, you know, that aren't themselves baby boomers, but the children of baby boomers. I was, you know, my parents knew about the Beatles. I can't really, to be honest, tell you a time where I didn't know of the Beatles, you know what I mean? Like, you just wake up, it's like Elvis, or Santa Claus, or Mickey Mouse, you know? It's just like, the Beatles exist. Like, you, yep. you're just born into a world where the Beatles exist. I remember watching, like, Yellow Submarine and being scared by it as a kid. I was scared of this album cover. I was scared of my family's, uh, my parents' record collections, because they just looked like these creepy hippie guys with mustaches. I, you know, was scared. Was- I love how you mentioned that, too, in your video. There was always something... That's what always fascinating about me was there's always something creepy about the Beatles. Yeah. Like uh, like so, like with their albums, some of the the productions, the production, some of the well, sounds and songs are very terif- are pretty creepy, which will... There's some of those moments, a lot of those moments on this album, which we'll definitely talk about. I mean, I knew some some of the singles, but it's a good thing I didn't, like, listen to... Like, put on, like, Sgt. Pepper or Mystery Tour, because I would have, like, shit myself. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been really scared. Uh, it was so like a lot of people. It was when I was a teenager and like started like smoking pot and stuff. And suddenly, freaky deaky psychedelic stuff seemed cool to me. So yeah, like a lot of people, it was the psychedelic era. It was like it was stuff like this album, Revolver, Mystery Tour, the White Album. That's what got me into it. And you know, and I, I would do acid and smoke pot and be like tripping out with the Beatles, and it was cool. But then you get a little older and you just start appreciating their melodies and harmonies and their songwriting and a big Paul McCartney fan and you know I love a lot of his solo stuff too so you know of course they're the fucking Beatles I don't trust people that don't like the Beatles that's all I gotta gotta say you know okay so this album my least favorite uh, Beatles album which I still think is a masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and it starts off we're gonna start with you Ralph what do you think of the title track Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band it fucking rocks, man. Killer song. Short. You know, they reprise it, which I think is a first as well. Um, I love it. I love how the little orchestra is warming up, and it goes into the, the heavy guitar, and Paul screaming his ass off all the way through it. And uh, it was... I, I know you all know the story, but I'm going to tell the story. It was released on a Friday, and the following Sunday... Paul McCartney went to go see Jimi Hendrix and he opened the show with Sgt. Pepper and it was only out for two days. 
True story. I love that story. Uh, I love so, it. That's so, a great song. Is that you, Ryan? The jingling? Yeah, who's jingling? Not That's me. my wife's damn watch here. Ryan, you go ahead and talk <laughs> about the song. I'm going to go get my wife her watch. Yeah, I mean, it's it's great. It's, it's a great uh, kind of table setter for this album. Um, I think this album is, is it's fair to call it kind of a loose concept album. And it also has a, a lot of the feel, and you'll hear me talk about this as we go through the songs, but it has a feel of a, of a, of a Broadway play almost, or a, you know, a, a score. It's, yeah. you know, each song kind of ties into the next, and it's, it, it, I think, Edwin, you said it, and I agree, um, it's probably one of the Beatles albums that I listen to the least, but that's only because of what I'm talking about with it kind of being a concept album and kind of feeling like a show that you have to kind of listen to the whole album to really enjoy it to, to where it was meant to be you know I, I really think they recorded this thinking of it as like one piece almost um, and this is the kind of perfect start to that it, it, it it's an introduction you can almost see them up on a stage you know, the beginning of a show, singing this to the crowd, and the lyrics are even talking about it. Um, it's just a perfect opening track to this, you know, really odd, you know, kind of Beatles dipping their toe into New Waters kind of uh, music and album. Uh, I love it. What do you think, Eric? I want to go last on this one. Okay. Uh, I fucking love this song. Like Ralph said, it fucking rocks. You know, it's a good kind of almost hard rocking song, but I love the the atmosphere it sets up with the orchestra you know this gives you a hint that this is you know this is the Beatles taking it another step further this ain't just you know this isn't just a collection of songs this is an album it's an experience and I mean they really changed the way people look at making an album you know albums used to just be collections of singles and this one really changed the game where no an album is like a one cohesive piece it's like an experience and while this may not be a concept album it's conceptual and the fact that everything flows together and it feels like it's part of one big thing. Um, the song just fucking rules. I love, you know, Paul screaming his ass off. Uh, I love Paul's voice. It's just, you know, Paul could sing like a ballad with an angelic voice, but he could also scream his ass off, you know, like, uh, you could tell he probably inspired, you know, some of the early, like, heavy metal singers like Ian Gillen and whatnot phenomenal song i love like i said i love that orchestra beginning and that was really too what that's what really uh got me into this album like i said i tried i could not get into it for the longest time my problem was i just would pick apart like little songs to try and listen to instead of like fully listening to it as an album from start to finish like alone by myself uh, so it's just, you know, it's an experience. This is one you gotta listen to it from beginning to end. There's no one specific song you can really, except for one, which I'll talk about when we get to it. This whole album has to be listened to from beginning to end as one album. It's just phenomenal. Great way to begin it. Edwin, what do you think of it? Okay, um, I, uh, have mixed feelings about this song. I Ooh. like, I know everyone's gonna think I'm crazy here, because Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Called Band. I, I, I love elements of it. I love the verse. I like the guitar hook. I love McCartney singing, as you guys all said. Uh, the chorus 
uh, kind of annoys me a little bit. That's kind of one of my issues. I understand it, and I know it's important, and it's art, but this whole, like, we're Sgt. Pepper's only hearts club band, it's just a little too Broadway for me. You know, that's the thing is it starts off kind of rock and roll. You're like, yeah, this is a good rock and roll tune. And then it kind of goes to Broadway. And it's like, I get it. It's like, it's kind of like a lot. I know it's like, it's the reason why Destroyer is my least favorite Kiss album of the 70s. And why uh, I'm, I like the Alice Cooper band better than Bob Ezrin's solo, you know, uh, Alice Cooper. I give the Beatles credit because they are the innovators. They're the first band to do an album with stuff like this that i don't like so so they're they're like the innovators and they're genius but yeah it's just i it's like i just you know i don't like that sing-songy chorus and the whole like ooh, we're like this edwardian band from like the 19th century thing i don't know i just <laughs> like rock and roll but it's, it's, not, it's the crack <laughs> <laughs> but you know i yeah it's it's it, at least it's short <laughs> it's two minutes and it's a good setup I guess but it, it ain't it, I'm more of a tax man back in the USSR guy that's all, that's I, all. I gotta say like uh, Eddie when you were like uh, in court it's cool dude I respect your opinion I'm not saying you know, you're wrong because obviously you're right uh, but, but but I gotta say what I like about it is what's going on under that guy dun 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 then then it's this contrast that fucking rules, dude. But I, hey, my condolences, you don't get it. Hey, I, I, I love the music. Oh, the music's rocking. I I agree, especially even in the chorus. The chords, yeah, the chorus, chords are badass. Fun. Yeah, it gets I just heavier with that gang gang the power chord shit. Shit fucking rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I just wish they were singing something cooler than we're Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Like, yeah, that's all. That's all. I just, I feel like the chord, those chords are like proto ACDC chords. Let's, let's fucking rock and roll. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, but that's I, me. I, I think the problem is you didn't do as much acid as I did. That, uh, maybe so I did. I totally appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ralph, so what do you think of, we go into the next song, sung by Ringo Starr as Billy Shears, I, I reckon, with a little help from my friends. I fucking love this song, man. This song is awesome. I love the melody, the, 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 the sugary part of it, the whole, you know what, fuck Joe Cocker, seriously. This to me is a fucking version. And I like Joe Cocker's version, but there's something so whimsical and awesome and beautiful about this. And it's just, you know, you got to think of the time, too, the flower power. It's just so perfect. You know, it was in the air, man. They couldn't help but write something like this because it really does talk about the time where, you know, it's like Kennedy was assassinated, Vietnam War is going to start, all this shit. And they're just trying to push this positive energy instead of, you know... Uh, out the doom and gloom of the world. That's the, that's why the Beatles are the most important band in the world because they're the only band ever to change the world, to actually bring joy to this to, to those really dark times, man. And this song emphasizes like it's just a big shining light in a world of shit. That's what I think of this song. That's beautiful. I love that. We could use the Beatles right <laughs> now more than ever. Oh God, yeah, yeah. So, Ryan, what do you think? I disagree. We needed the Beatles the most in 86 when Sammy Hagar joined them. <laughs> yeah, real. <laughs> that was real dark time. Yes. Never forget 86. 
<laughs> fucking Van Halen went from being a badass fucking hard rock band to being looking like fucking extras on fucking Full House. Well, picture that would do the tra- picture if like they make the news. They're like, here, here he is. It's our new singer, Sammy Hagar, and we're doing this album. And then the following week, the Beatles reunite. <laughs> that would be awesome because that would totally shit all over Sammy's fucking bullshit ego. That guy's got too big of a fucking ego to you know for the with minimal talent with zero fucking talent. Fuck Sammy Hagar. Thanks. My ego looks fucking tame. At least you have talent to back up your fucking ego. Sammy has no talents. Like you can't have an ego that big when you have zero fucking talent. What, you don't dig that line right right up her legs to her lunch pail? Oh, God. <laughs> yes, yes. He actually wrote lyrics like that. Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, so, Ryan, w- what do you think of With a Little Help from My Friends? <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean, this is this will just back up on the, on the theme that I talked about and you kind of touched on, and it makes sense if you don't like Broadway play. Uh, type of music if you don't like show tunes that this album would turn you off a little bit um there's a lot of that in this and and like it i a lot of times hear music kind of almost cinematically and like have a visual in my head of like what would a video of this look like or what would a performance of this look like and this is every time i've ever heard this it just reminds me of a broadway play where like you know you have the intro from the orchestra and it's this big crescendo that it reaches and then it cuts immediately to something kind of a little mellow starting off with just like one guy singing on the side of the stage and that's Ringo Starr, Billy Shears, whoever you want to say and this song is just absolutely perfect. It's The melody is beautiful and we'll touch Ralph already talked about it and I will talk about it a lot on this album and any other Beatle album is Paul McCartney's bass, Paul McCartney's bass, Paul McCartney's bass He's the, great, he's the greatest bassist of all time. And this is what, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't this the album where he first uses the Rickenbacker? Um, you know, I don't know that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, because I'm not really a musician myself, I can play really bad guitar and I used to sing when I was in high school. But well, I know All You Need Is Love, <laughs> which was done this summer, like right after this, like, came out, it's the first time you see it. Like in a video, so I assume, and it kind of sounds like the Rickenbacker to me. Like it sounds a little heavier sounding the bass than it did on the prior albums. So yeah, I'm getting. I'm it, not tech savvy with that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I, this the bass line in this song, and it, you could say it about a hundred Beatles songs, is, and they actually, if anybody saw McCartney three two one, and you guys watched that uh, series, no, I wanted. No. I haven't seen it yet. I, I, I highly recommend it to anybody who likes music, but specifically the Beatle fans, because what they do for the most part in that series is Paul McCartney sits down with Rick Rubin and they just literally sit at a soundboard and they play songs from his whole history. And in a lot of cases, Rubin ends up, you know, fading up and fading down everything else and fading up the bass. And it, it just really does an unbelievable job of showing you how much color that he added to these songs, how much melody he added to these songs with bass. And what they said over and over again, and this is something I've been saying for, you know, 35, 40 years listening to this music, is you could take the best bass player in the world and give them these same songs. And they would end up, you know, they're studio musicians, they're going in there to just get their job done. For the most part, they would play you a pretty simple bass line to these songs. Paul 
felt the freedom to go all over the place with these songs. Um, and he created counter melodies. He created like a, almost like a second song on top of the song that was already playing just with his bass lines. And listen to the bass line in this song. It's a perfect example of that. He is literally playing his own melody and it is adding so much to the song. It's ridiculous. And it's, you can literally, you listen to any Beatles album with headphones on and literally half the songs would fit that exact description with just listen to him play bass and how much he adds to every single song. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I, I, I think what Jimi Hendrix is to guitar, Paul McCartney is the bass. You know, he revolutionized that it's instrument and is kind of the first modern rock bassist, but did more than what all the people that followed him did. He, he was playing rhythm guitar on bass almost. Yeah. You know, Ned Whistle did that too. You know, the really good bassists do that. Getty Lee does that. Um, but he was doing it a lot well before most anybody else was doing it. And I think it's just because, you know, he became the bassist of this band out of default because they had three guitarists and you said, okay, I'll play bass. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you're talking about just a genius musician. Who, well, yeah, he plays a lot of instruments on this album. Plays, he plays he, plays, he I mean, plays most of the piano. Whenever you hear piano, it's usually Paul on this album. He plays a lot of organ, a lot of stuff on it. Yeah, yeah and, and, and we'll get into this as we go through the album, but this is definitely the turning point for when this went from being John's band to Paul's band. Oh, yes, yeah, totally. It's the first album where there's more Paul songs than John yeah. songs. Yeah. This is and definitely he, a Paul-dominated album. Yeah, yeah definitely. He, he was the one that wanted to push the concept hard. He's the, he's the one that wanted to make this, like you said earlier, you know, kind of a journey and, a, you know, an album that was one piece, one, one idea and an experience. Um, and I think John had started to reach a point of, and, and if you, anybody's watched the, uh, Peter Jackson movie that came out with the eight hour series thing that came out. They get into this, but um, John and Paul actually talk about it in it where they say, you know, we're, they both acknowledge that it kind of was John was the boss and John was kind of the deciding factor all the time when they were young. And then, you know, John was kind of upset because he's saying that like Paul was doing the same exact thing for the last handful of albums and it probably started with this. Um, yeah, totally started. Yeah, because Rubber Soul and Bob are they're pretty neck and neck song wise. Yeah, this album is is McCartney dominant. Um, yeah, and you know at, at least for me, it's one of John's weakest albums. As I, well. I, I, yeah, I actually agree with that. And we could get more into that when we get <laughs> to the when we get to the John songs. Uh, all I can say is thank God for Macca. Uh I'm gonna take this song, which I'm guessing I know it, it's Lennon McCartney. I'm guessing this is a McCartney written song, maybe of some contributions from Lennon, because you know at this point they were writing the songs for Ringo. Ringo didn't start writing songs yet, but uh, I like the song actually. I wouldn't say I love it, but I like it. It's a catchy little ditty. It is what it is. I like you know I'm a big Ringo fan. I think Ringo's very underrated as not just a drummer, but as a singer. I like his voice. I think he's got a cool voice, and I like that it's like the only time Ringo sings the second song on an album, which is kind of a prominent place for a Ringo song. And, you know, it's a, it's a catchy little ditty. I definitely prefer it, like uh, Ralph was saying, to the Joe Cocker Joe Cocker sh- song. Is that his name? Joe Cocker, that guy? Yeah. I hate, I hate that song. I don't like the Joe Cocker version. I think it's like 
heavy-handed, and oh, it's just like too much, you know? I don't like it. <laughs> I, I did it, but I enjoyed this one. This, this is a short, and like, this, it's funny, because for the most part, I'd say this is probably the Beatles' most pretentious album, but this song I don't think is pretentious. It's just a catchy little pop ditty, you know? And maybe it has the bells and whistles of this album, but this could have been on, like, Rubber Soul or, like, Revolver, you know, just in a slightly different way. Uh, it's just a catchy little pop tune. It's very catchy. And Ringo uh, does a good job singing it. So I actually, I like this song. So I'd say it's probably my like fifth favorite song on the album. So what do you think, Eric? Oh, man. Uh, I'll tell you what. I love this song uh, because Sammy Hagar didn't fucking write it. So that's why it's a good fucking song. Uh, <laughs> the song fucking rules, man. I love Ringo. And, uh, you know, people slag on Ringo all the time saying he's the weakest Beatle. Man, fuck that. Ringo's fucking amazing. All four of them are important to the band, but I fucking love Ringo. His drum style is amazing. I love his voice, and I love that they they don't overuse it. They use it just for the right amount, you know, because he's got kind of a quirky, not the greatest sounding voice, but it works for the songs he does. Um, unlike all you guys, I, I like the Joe Cocker version, not as much as this one. Uh, there's actually a period of time, though, where the Joe Cocker version I liked a little bit more because I knew it. Like, I knew it for a long time, because my mom watched The Wonder Years all the time on TV. Uh, Jimmy Page actually does guitar, I believe, on uh, the Joe Cocker version as well. But uh, now, obviously, you know, this one's my favorite version, um, because I love this album so much. And just the way Ringo sings it, it's just so quirky and amazing and just phenomenal. I love the way, it, you know, Sgt. Peppers bleeds right into the song, and it kind of keeps with the whole concept of the album that this is like it's them performing for an audience it's an experience great song get high with a little help from my friends i love that line they're Another, talking about drugs eric Did you yeah i'm talking about fucking drugs <laughs> get high with the beatles. yeah get high on the beatles i, I, I and, like the joe cocker version too oh okay cool i thought cool. the music if robert plant was singing it i'd probably like it i just don't like joe cocker's voice it's oh, too I much like his voice i think he was a black man for the longest time oh it's the hunky <laughs> hunky blues i don't oh, know. fuck joe cocker <laughs> yeah <laughs> i like the john hey, the joe cocker version's better than out. any fucking sammy hagar song <laughs> Yeah, well, Sammy Hagar covering with a little help from my friends. That motherfucker doesn't even have any fucking friends except like Michael Anthony. Uh, Joe Cocker just seems like some fucking obnoxious homeless guy on a corner trying to belt out the blues and you just want to get away. From, you want to get away from him. That is worse than any Sammy Hagar song. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Well, I gotta get well. I gotta get another beer. So, Ralph, why don't you talk about the next song, "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds"? Oh my God, this song rules! Oh my God, the Beatles! <laughs> um, oh my God, LSD! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now this is like you have your "Tomorrow Never Knows" and you have you know your little experimental shit before. But man, nobody talks about how experimental this fucking song is. I mean, this does not sound like any Beatles song. At all, and this it doesn't stop here. This album is full of songs that don't sound like it sounds like a whole new band. It's this album is revolutionary, man. Here, here you go. Imagine if they would have put uh, Strawberry Fields, you know, which was released as a single at the time. I mean, they, they couldn't put it on this album; it explode. <laughs> it, it, too much, too much fucking. Uh, this is just to me. This is the. It's so game changing. 
It's so yeah. odd. It's so weird. The sounds, the vibe, never been done before. And just the pure fact that the most popular band on the planet can venture and do something like this just shows how genius they were. How they can, you know, Paul McCartney said when he, you know, the whole concept of this album is they didn't want to be the Beatles. They wanted to be Sgt. Pepper. So they mentally wrote, wrote songs that wouldn't sound like the Beatles. And it works so well. And this song is so fucking beautiful. The way it starts, it was a huge, huge hit when I was a little kid because of Elton John. Elton John's version was all over the radio in the 70s. But then again, anything Elton John did. I remember one station would play his farts. You know? I mean, the guy in the 70s couldn't do no wrong, you know? But what a fucking, what an amazing, amazing song. Love it. Absolutely love it. And they changed their image too radically because there's like video of like when they first showed Sergeant Pepper, I mean not Sergeant Pepper, Strawberry Fields on like uh, Dick Clark or one of those shows. You had all the teenage girls like, oh, I don't really like the way they looked. You know, they had the mustaches and they grew their hair out longer and they're dressing a little different. So they like kind of dropped the whole pretty boy image, which was yeah, a, a pretty big risk. But, but dude, that's chicks. They don't matter when it comes to music. Yeah. Uh, I know the clip you're talking about, and it's great. I love it. You know, the, that's the thing. They go to all these girls, and they're all, like, weirded out by it. But then, <laughs> All the guys like it, yeah. Yeah, they go to this one guy, Ralph and Eric. They go to this one guy who's, like, he actually, yeah, he's, like, this cool-looking dude. He's got kind of shaggy, dark hair. And Dick finally goes to him and says, what do you think about it? And he just has this knowing grin. He goes, I, I dig it, man. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's it. But, I mean, still, even... But still, it's like, you know, no, no other band probably would have taken that risk. You know, all these girls and everything. Most bands would have been like, fuck, I don't want to do this, you know, because we'll alienate the chicks, man. Or the Beatles were like, man, fuck that shit. We're going to do what we want, you know. And it worked out in the long run because they evolved their sound. And that's, I mean, that's why they are the best band in the world because they took them those chances. They didn't give a shit about superficial shit. They were musicians that wanted to, you know, evolve as musicians. Yeah, they, they're the first band to do it. Like, no one, like, there, there was, like, subtle e evolution, you know, like Frank Sinatra and some artists where they would kind of mature, but there was never, like, suddenly you're, like, a totally different kind of artist making different kinds of music before. Oh, I, I begged to death for Eddie. Remember Poison? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fucking, yeah. Hey, Brian, fucking, no. Paul, Paul McCartney ain't got shit on, on Bobby Dahl, man. Bobby Dahl went back in a time machine. This is what Yellow Submarine's about. It's about how they, the Poison went back in a time-traveling Yellow Submarine, and the Beatles ripped them off. That's what that's about. <laughs> the, uh, but yeah, I mean, everything. Like, think about David Bowie too. And I love David Bowie, and I know you've been on a David Bowie kick, Ralph. It's like David Bowie kind of was learning from the Beatles and just was kind of doing what the Beatles did, but he did it every, like, two years, like, in the 70s. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to change my sound and image again every two years. Like, he's going to do a Sgt. Pepper every two years. Right. And, yeah, and the Beatles, like, started that shit, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was one of the things, too, that drew me to them. Like, even before I really dove deep into their music, I just remember seeing pictures of this band and, like, just the whole evolution when I'd see, like, commercials for like the Beatles anthology or like one of their greatest hit CDs on TV it was just so fascinating seeing like the way their look transformed like that alone besides the music was so fascinating to me I just loved looking at pictures and seeing how much they changed and then the music obviously was like that but even you know you know even better you know hearing their musical like evolution 
Yeah, you know, the thing, too, they all decide they all grew mustaches uh, at the same time, and no <laughs> people are doing drugs and making a concept album when they all grow mustaches at the same time. Shady <laughs> business. So uh, what do you think about Lucy and the Sky of Diamonds, Ryan? Uh, I love it. Um, I, I have to say this was maybe one of the first songs that did suffer a little burnout for me, like as a kid, where I there was a period I know that I didn't really need to listen to this song by choice much but uh, as i've gotten older i've learned to appreciate it a little bit more it's taken on you know especially when you listen to music from the time you're literally you know a seven eight year old kid to the time you're a 50 year old man you know music tends to take on kind of different meanings and you, you kind of look at songs differently than maybe you did and this is definitely one of those songs it's amazing and you guys already touched on it kind of you know the the next level that they were going to this was a song that i think really showed that and you started to see hints of it with rubber soul and revolver and then also with some of the singles that they released between uh revolver and sergeant peppers uh lady madonna um paperback writer and uh you know some of that stuff you were they were starting to experiment more and this was kind of the culmination of that. And it would also, they stopped touring in August of 66, uh, which was the month that Revolver came out. So the, this was actually between Revolver and Sgt. Pepper's the longest they had ever gone between albums. So, you know, they were literally releasing something every six, seven months before, and there were 10 months between the two of these. So um, this was ridiculously highly anticipated and everything, but you know, now that they had said, okay, we're not touring anymore, this is where they delved in and said, let's do shit that it doesn't matter if we can play this live. Um, let, let's, let's take it to the next level. Let's experiment more. Let's, and this, you know, this song shows it as much as anything. And it's, you know, at its core, it's just a beautiful song, but the textures and the, the, the psychedelic nature of the song, it's just, it, it was next level. Nobody was doing that at that time. It was mind blowing. Um, you hear musician after musician after musician talk about the experience of waiting for this album to come out and then hearing this stuff. And it was literally like melting minds. It was like people are like, what the F am I listening to? And this is unbelievable. And Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was at the hot top of that list. Uh, brilliant song. All right, I'll, I'll take it next. I'll just say I used to love this song. Now I, I'd say I just like it. Obviously, objectively, everything you guys said is true about it. It's a revolutionary song. It's one of the most revolutionary songs on the album. It's a psychedelic pop rock classic, you know, and it's it's great. But it's not a song I really listen to much. I still do get a feeling from the verses. This is another song where I, I like the verses more than the chorus. The verse, it's very creepy. I like the creepy sound. I used to always think of it as a harpsichord. And there is a harpsichord on uh, one of the later songs here. But it's actually, I was reading, it's actually a guitar that George Harrison's playing doubled up with an organ that Paul's playing with a really weird effect on it. And I never knew that. Just Interesting. Yeah, I just discovered that. I always thought it was like a harpsichord. Of a oh, same. I thought it was some kind of keyboard or some yeah, shit. Yeah, so it, it's like an organ and a guitar uh, synced up together, and then they put some kind of weird effect on it. But, yeah, I mean, musically, you got that the cool bass. I love the pre-chorus uh, when, uh, when the bass comes in. And that cool little bass, boom, 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 comes in. It's cool. And it's, it's, an, ama it's an amazing song. That I feel like a dickhead for saying I just like it and don't love it. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and it's probably, if we're not counting a song that 
is kind of Lennon and McCartney together, if we're just talking solo Lennon sung songs, it would be my favorite one on the album uh, from him. Uh, what do you think, Eric? Oh, Lucy and the Sky with Diamonds, what a fucking masterpiece. And Ralph is right, this is like the first one that really sounds like radically different from the traditional Beatles sound. You can hear a little little hints of it in the first two, but this is one where it's like, yeah, this is not the fucking Beatles. This shit ain't Love Me Do or Drive My Car. This is something that totally different, you know, musical hemisphere right here. And I love that, like, you know, well, I thought it was a harpsichord for the longest time, but I'll say I learned something new today that wasn't. Uh, I always loved that. It sounds so trippy and so weird, like, so dreamlike. Um, and that's this, that's what this song reminds me of. It's so dreamlike. I feel like I'm in a dream, just visiting all these different worlds or like on some crazy acid trip. This, uh, this song's just beautiful. I think one of the first times I heard this, it was actually the, uh, Black Crows version from that I Am Sam movie. So my mom bought that soundtrack and basically just had different artists covering the Beatles. And I thought their version was pretty good, but yeah, you can't top, uh, the original. Love this song, and then this one, it, like I said, this is showing you where where they're going with this album and how radically different it's going to be. So uh, why don't you take the next one, Ralph? Uh, before I take the next one, uh, I first got to say, fuck the Black Crows. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, you don't, you're not a Black Crows fan. <laughs> no, man. I love the Crows. Oh. I, I like a couple songs, but I'm not like uh, I'm not... What you'd call like a even like a casual fan? I just like a couple tunes. I, I like the Black Crows, but they're one of it's like when I said I get it, like kind of like Mr. Moonlight. Like I like the Black Crows, but I can I can get not liking the Black Crows. I can get how like Chris Robinson could kind of annoy you as a singer. I get yeah. I get it. I, lo- I, I, I like I love the Crows, but I get that he could annoy me. Yeah, I can get. I can. He, get anno- he annoys me. Yeah, <laughs> but but I I, I like some of their albums though. I love, especially their second album. I think is great. Uh, so, but what do you think of Getting Better? Which I'm sure you think is better than the Black Crows, Ralph. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like Remedy. That song Remedy from Black. That's a good one. That that's from the album I like best of theirs. I think. That's well, my brother dragged me to go see him on that tour, and dude. Seriously, that Rich Robinson guy's leaning against his amp, bored out of his mind, and they don't play Remedy. They don't <laughs> play Remedy? Pissed. Oh, dickheads. And it was that tour. It was oh, the that's... single at the time. It was the stupidest shit. Oh, that's the that, dickhead that movie. Me, that made me really hate them. Because I didn't like anything they played that night. You know? no, but, oh, that song's great, too. They should have been proud of it. That's like, that's like their start me up. They should have fucking leaned into it. <laughs> But anyway, getting better is the next one, right? Yeah, getting better. Getting better, man. Jeez, what what a great song. I mean, you know, to coincide a little bit with the lyrics, I was just thinking of this when I was thinking about getting better. Um, I don't, dude. I've had girlfriends here and there, and loves of my life, and blah blah blah. But you know what? They're all gone. They don't mean shit. The Beatles mean everything. Now, I'm not against beating women, but I understand <laughs> the lyrics. <laughs> but, you know, but he says, I used to beat her, but hey, I love her now. I ain't gonna hit her no more. <laughs> it's like when Chris Rock said, I'm not saying OJ should have killed Nicole, but I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Kinson made a joke about that too. He was a son about like people that, son about like guys that do that, and he's just like, you know, I don't agree with it, I understand it. 
I, I'm surprised the Beatles have not been cancelled yet because of this lyric. <laughs> now you're too powerful for cancelling. No, he redeems himself. Hey, I used to. I don't know anymore, okay? Okay. But, you know, my point is, is that the Beatles is like, to me, man, that's the best chick you can have, man. Fuck women. The Beatles never let you down. Or Sabbath. Hell yeah. They mean more to me than chicks. And this, this, and and it's just a melody. And McCartney always says in interviews, "Oh, John was so clever because I'm here to say writing uh, is getting better." And John would go, "He couldn't get much worse." And I, I just love the the just the, the happiness. There's this happiness that I listen to, this and it just makes me feel good. And that is, you know, there's uh, there's other music that makes me feel bad and want to kill people, and I love that too. <laughs> But yeah, sometimes you just want to fucking like forget about your troubles, and there's no, nothing better than songs like this, getting better with the little. And again, it, it it's poppy and stuff, but it doesn't sound like any of the. It doesn't sound like Dr. Robert, which has the same kind of little structure, but it doesn't. It, it's just so. And is this the one with the harpsichord where it goes in the middle of it? I know that does that little trippy thing. They get yeah, so. kind of a yeah bridge part. It, it got it gets a little like eastern sounding in the bridge. I like, love that man. It's so cool, man. It's just all these killer elements where they weren't working with Pro Tools and shit. This was all fucking tapes. It was hard work, man. Yeah. Ringo said that he learned how to play chess. Maybe <laughs> Sergeant Pepper because he was so bored. Yeah. I mean, what's he doing? He just sings one song and plays the drums. <laughs> but all the little effects that they put in there, and and it's not one of these things where it's like, oh, let's just throw a kitchen sink type thing. No, it enhances the song. You know, mm-hmm. it took them five months. It's funny because the, nowadays that seems really fast. Like, wow, yeah. he did Sgt. Pepper as such a layered album and revolutionary album in five months. Back then, this just shows you how music used to be. Back then... People were like, "Why the fuck are the Beatles taking so long to make an album? Like, are yeah, they break up? Real. <laughs> like, it was like a big thing that they took five months to make an album, and it's amazing. Times were so slow, though, man. Back when I was a kid, a year was an eternity. Now it's like, a yeah. month. you know, it just flies. It flies. But when I was a kid, you know, I mean, uh, all the albums that I bought as a kid were all these bands that were releasing two albums a year." And it seemed normal to me. I mean, like six months gap between an Aerosmith album when I was a little kid seemed like an eternity. It yeah. really did. It was like, yeah, they're due. You know, but, so. Yeah, and it's just like, it seems obviously like the more technology advances, the less people do. The more laser people do. Yeah, yeah like, like now it's like five years between an album, whereas yeah. they, they were recording on tape. Exactly. And the thing was, and they the knocked thing out was, albums every year. The thing was, too, I mean, they would release these out they'd shit these albums out like super fast but it was quality stuff you got some bands out there they take like you know ye- like five years to put out a new album and it's not even that great you know it's just so it's it, it blows my mind these bands you know that they're shitting albums out you know like and and they sounded great they're coming out with all these classic like revolutionary songs yeah, someone was saying, I think it was someone uh, from Fleetwood Mac a couple years back. It was either Mick Fleetwood or Stevie Nicks. Someone said they were doing an interview and they said the problem with modern music now is that they just they have too many options. And as a result, like they're not just forced to just go and do it. Like here, like 
it's it's even like what special effects used to be like in the 70s with like the original Star Wars movies and Jaws yeah. and stuff where people had to be kind of uh, street smart and kind of think on their feet and make Creative. up shit. Like they had to make up shit right on the spot to make this stuff happen. Whereas now you can do anything and as a result like people's brains are, you know, everyone's really lazy now. You yeah. know, in the 60s it's like, like you had to invent ways to do shit, and that made people more productive and more. Innovative. And you put more effort into everything. Yeah, because they people and they just knock shit out. Like we're we're not gonna sit around. Like you know, we we have a chance to make music and grow as artists. And you know, this is you know just an example of that. I want to take I want to take getting better uh, next because yeah, we're finally getting to a song that I love. <laughs> Hell yeah! I love getting better. It's a it's a great song. Now we're talking. This is a great, innovative, but at its core, catchy rock song. And you know, it's a great song, a great McCartney song with some you know cool contributions from Lennon. And I love the groove. I love the sound of the guitar in the beginning. Dan dan dan. And you know that breakdown. The it's it's upbeat, but there's moments of darkness in some of the lyrics. And it's a it's a wonderful song. It's one of the best songs on the album, in my opinion. I would say it's about... Let me think about this. It's about my... It's my fourth favorite song on the album. I love this song. It's a great song. So, like, now we're talking. Now, this this is kind of them spring... I do agree it's an evolution from Revolver, but this sounds more connected to Revolver than the other, the other three songs before it. It sounds like, yeah, this this is kind of what I want from the Beatles, and it's a it's a great song. What do you think of it, Ryan? Uh, I absolutely love it. Um, another one where I just say, if you haven't listened to it recently, put it on headphones and listen to Paul's bass. Um, just you know, during the the verses, his bass just again adds so much color to the song, so much melody to the song. It's brilliant. Um, but getting onto what you guys were saying, this is so funny, the difference, you know, back in the late 60s of output of music. People were saying that, you know, I've seen a lot of documentaries where they were saying in between Revolver and, and uh, this album that, you know, the fan base is like, what are the Beatles doing? Well, he, here's a little reminder of just the singles that were released between Revolver and this, which was only about nine and a half, ten months between the two of them. Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields, double uh, single. All You Need Is Love, Baby, You're a Rich Man. Hello, Goodbye, I Am the Walrus. And uh, Magical Mystery Tour uh, sing all came out in that gap. That, i sorry to correct you, Ryan. You're wrong. I don't know where you're getting that from. The Strawberry Fields <laughs> it's Strawberry Fields, and Penny Lane, yes, you're right. Um, they, that, they came out in the November before this album came out in this... Uh, but those other singles came out subsequent to Sgt. Pepper's release. They were between Sgt. Pepper and Mystery Tour. Ugh. It's a true story. Check no, your no, facts. You're, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. by, by like a month. But it, it, it's amazing that they released this Oh, all in the same year. Well, you know, Sar Mystery Tour came out in 67, the same year. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those singles came out literally like a month after. Oh, they all, yeah, they all came out. Yeah, you you had the the dates a little wrong, but you're right in the sense of think about this. In '67, the Beatles released Sgt. Pepper and Mystery Tour, which was an EP plus all those singles. I mean, think about that: Sgt. Pepper and Mystery Tour in one fucking year. Well, and and how crazy is this? This album came out like the first week of May. The um. 
All You Need Is Love single came out like literally the next week. Yeah, and, and also in, uh, uh, in May. And The Doors' first album, and Jimi Hendrix's first album, and Pink Floyd's first album. Come on, people are just fucking punk asses nowadays. And then <laughs> oh, 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 Goodbye in October, Magic Mystery Tour in November. I mean, yeah. Picture like, just listen, picture, oh, here's the new Beatles song. Here's the next new pop single, and it's fucking I'm the Wars. Imagine that. Imagine. Like, that, that was a real reality. It's like what I said in my Led Zeppelin video about 1975. I said, there was a time where some guy was driving his Mustang with his chick while listening to the new Led Zeppelin album, Physical Graffiti, and he was driving to see Jaws, the new movie Jaws. Yeah. Like, that was reality. You know, come yeah, on. It's insane. People, it's people, everyone knows it. Yeah. Incredible pop song. It's, you know, just vintage Paul, like like Ralph was saying, just so positive. It's in, You could be in the worst mood in the world when you put this song out. It puts you in a good mood. It's what I would play to, if I was a, a guy who beat my woman, I would play her this song. <laughs> said, hey, baby, come on, it's getting better. <laughs> Here's some roses in a fucking Beatles song. Sorry well, for the, I'm sorry for the shine. Like I'm, I'm changing my scene and I'm doing the best that I can to not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure jo- Lennon came up that part. I'm sure. Oh, you know, Paul, he came Paul up was that not part. the fact. Paul wouldn't hit a woman. I, I, I love John. Would hit God a damn, woman. that guy's a fake fucking hippie. Oh, oh yeah. talking about peace and shit. That guy beat his his all of his wives. Man, that guy gave. The guy loved all of his possessions. Get the fuck out of here with that hippie bullshit. Lennon had a- anger issues for sure. Yeah, uh, I, I've re- I've read several times that his two lyrical con- contributions to this song were the "couldn't get much worse" and that lyric about beating my woman. Yeah, th- it's totally Lennon. Those two lines. Yeah. Uh, and what? And also, he contributed the line in Eleanor Rigby about the face in the jar because he's a crazy hippie serial killer, John Lennon. You can't trust that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what do you think of the song, Eric? Oh, son of a bitch! I love this song. This is my second favorite song off the album. This one fucking rules, and this was the one that actually made me like really, really get into Sgt. Pepper's. Uh, like I said, this was this album was a grower for me. This is the song that I heard where I'm like, ooh, I need to get that album like uh, another chance, and that's when it finally clicked with me. I love love this song, and I, I love that line about you know, I, I love that line about the beating the women. Not because I'm a woman beater, I, <laughs> I do not support women beating. For uh, the I record, love- we do not support beating women. I do not support the beating of women. <laughs> Just for the record. But no, I just love it because that's like such a shocking like difference. I mean, the Beatles had some some real dark stuff in their lyrics before, but here it's such a statement. Like this this is not love me do. This is not I want to hold your hand, you know, talking about man, I used to be cruel, I used to beat my woman all that. It's like that's some pretty outright just dark shit right there. That's so against like what they were, you know, known for. And uh, it's just like a phenomenal song. I love what Ralph talked about, how it is a great song, like if you're feeling down or you're going through some shit. And, and this is where like my personal connection comes with this album and what made it my favorite. You know, I, I, I've been through some rough times. I had times where I was kind of down on my luck. 
you know, out of work and, uh, you know, was living in my car for a while. You know, I had a period where I was, like, literally living in my car during the summertime and having to sleep in your car. And it's, like, you know, a thousand fucking degrees out and you're just, like, miserable and you're just wanting things to get better and you just want to give up sometimes. And uh, this is an album I listened to a lot when I was going through that, when I was, like, kind of, when I was literally, like, living in my car, had nowhere to go and, uh, you know, was struggling to try and, like, you know, turn my life around and to just try and make things better in my life. And this is a song that always stuck out to me, but that's why this album's very special to me because it, it helped me through a very, very tough time in my life. And it was an album that, you know, when I felt like giving up, it kind of kept me going. You know, listening to these songs every night just kind of made me feel better. It made me, uh, made me happy, put a smile on my face, and it's, you know... It, it helped me push myself to the point where you know I'm I live a pretty good life now, um, so that's why I have kind of a sentimental connection to sound. And this song exemplifies that like perfectly. You know, getting better, like life will get better if you keep pushing forward and uh, never give up. You know, phenomenal fucking song. Second favorite on the album. Ralph, what do you think about the next track? Is it leaving home? Uh, no, fixing a hole. Fixing a hole. Oh, I get mixed man. up too. <laughs> what a song! This and again, you know, another game changer. This is why this album to me is so damn special, man. Because they reinvented themselves with good music. Yep. Uh, and this is a great trippy tune. Um, again, I mean, what the hell on Revolver or Rubber Soul even comes remotely to this? Revolver and Rubber Soul were like elements of where they came from. It just beefed it up, made it a little trippier here and there. This thing is 24-7. And this song is just, it's just a phenomenal piece of work. It's, it's, it's a musical masterpiece. This is one of the best songs on the album for me. Hell yeah. I will probably have to say it's the best McCartney song on the album, I think. I don't gonna- think about that. I'm gonna take it. I might. Uh, it's. I think the second best McCartney song on the album. I do also love it. I love fixing a hole. So we're like now two songs in a row that I love. So now we're starting to really cook. This song, like Ralph says, it's it's a very innovative song. Doesn't sound like anything uh, from any Beatles song, a- album before. It's just so unique. It doesn't sound like anything from any Beatles album afterwards, except for maybe Mystery Tour. Um, it's just—it's a really unique song. This actually is a harpsichord in the beginning. That is indeed a harpsichord, which McCartney's playing. I just think that's amazing. Like I don't know, to me, like that you could be this like working class kid from England and who plays rock and roll music, and suddenly you're playing fucking harpsichords like you're some powdered wig classical dude from <laughs> from the old days, you know, like fucking Mozart type shit. So he's playing a harpsichord, but then that amazing bass line throughout the song and the melodies. It's also like a meta song because he like there's a line about seeing the Beatles scattered or you know like across the ground or whatever. It's it's really interesting lyrically. It's trippy. It's cool. Obviously, McCartney had started doing drugs as well. So, uh, but but it's really it's a really original song. It's different from a lot of stuff that McCartney would ever do even later and Wings and stuff. But I love the song. It has, it's really catchy too. That's the thing is that the Beatles could be, it's like Ralph says, they changed but with good songs. Like, that's the thing is they were innovative and doing this weird experimental stuff, but at the core, they still, you know, McCartney could still, and Lennon, they could still write a tune, you know? At the core, and that's why it works, and that's why the album is still beloved by so many people, because at the core, it's still that Lennon McCartney songwriting magic, just in trippy 
you know, with a trippy outfit around it. But at its core, it's still a catchy tune, you know, and that's the thing they could always do. So I love Fixing a Hole. I think it's one of the best songs on the album. It's my third favorite song on the album. It's a great song. What do you think, Ryan? I love it. Um, It's, you know, you could say there's a hundred of them, but it's a perfect two and a half minute Paul McCartney classic. It's, uh, I agree with you guys. It was kind of a a new kind of sound for them. And that's, again, this album, I think there's so much, so many new sounds and experiments just because they had relieved themselves of the worries of traveling and touring. Um, and, And I think there was a conscious effort in knowing that, you know, they weren't gonna be touring the album that they recorded it completely differently. They tried different instruments and they tried stuff, you know, you weren't they weren't gonna bring a harpsichord on tour and you didn't have technology back then with synthesizers or anything like that where you could, you know, mimic that sound live. So they were writing stuff w- without, you know, the constraints of worrying about playing it live and I think that really opened them up to a whole new kind of songwriting. Um, and this is, you know, a great example of that. It's Beautiful song, love it. I want to add one more thing before Eric talks about it because I, I just want to give credit where credit's due. Also, really awesome guitar solo from George Harrison on this song that I love. That really cool, sneaky kind of jazzy guitar solo. It's I think it's one of Harrison's best guitar solos. It's very uh, melodic as well. It's just a really catchy solo. I just love it. So, what yeah. do you think? Of, yeah, very cool solo. Yeah, what do you think, Eric? Oh, fixing a hole uh, again. Another fucking just game changing fucking song. Uh, you know, they weren't writing songs like this, you know, before. This was really, like, you know, something totally different, yet they made it work. You know, and that's the thing with the Beatles, man. You know, any band can change their sound. Any band can, like, step out of their comfort zone, do something radically different than what they're used to. But not every band can do it successfully and do it as naturally as the Beatles did. The Beatles did that, but they did it in a way that it was not only successful... But it just sounded natural. It didn't sound... This isn't Tommy Lee trying to do fucking trap music or hip-hop <laughs> or whatever. Where it's just... This is some fucking guy that's trying to fit in with the... Be hip with the kids. This is them doing something sincere from the heart. And it sounded natural. Like, this is where they need to go next. Like, in their natural progression. Great fucking song. And yes, I do... You know, we haven't talked a lot about George Harrison. Um, and he definitely would probably be... If I had to rank, like, my Beatles from my favorite to my least favorite, he'd probably be my least favorite, but he can't take away, like, the amazing guitar work he does. He's not, a, you know, a, a Hendrix or an Eddie Van Halen, um, but he still does the job. I mean, he does some great guitar work, and especially on this song. Amazing work. Love the harpsichord again that they had. You know, they're just really, they're really going all out. They know they're not going to tour again so they gives them the freedom to kind of just do whatever they want get as experimental as they want because they know they're not going to have the pressure of trying to perform these songs live it's just phenomenal and uh i'm gonna change it up i'm gonna have ryan talk about the next song she's leaving home while i go feed my cat really quick (laughs) (laughs) eric's leaving home i I am i'm leaving (laughs) for a second I uh, love this song. Um, just a beautiful song. It's uh, a classic McCartney ballad. Um, I love the lyrics. You know, I, I don't know exactly what they're about, but I, I kind of just picture this old couple, an older couple that has like a daughter that's lived with them for years and is uh, 
you know, she told them that she's leaving, and then eventually at the end, she, you know, is with a guy, and it's just like kind of an older couple getting used to, you know, living under a roof without their their kid or whatever. It's a simple story, but it's a beautiful song. Um, actually, uh, one of my other favorite singers of all time, um, Robin Zander, does a uh, really good version of this. Cheap Trick did a couple residencies in Vegas where they uh, did um, the whole album. Then they did the whole album from start to finish. Yeah, yeah. they have the live album where they do that. Yeah, and, and I mean overall, I, I got to say I didn't love that. I mean, I, I'd rather hear Cheap Trick play Cheap Trick than play the Beatles. But the one song from that set that really stood out to me, and I actually have it on my iPod, listen to it uh, specifically, is Cheap Trick's version of uh, "She's Leaving Home," which is more or less. Robin Zander singing with an orchestra, um, and it's beautiful. Uh, but uh, love the original and love that that cover. But uh, just a beautiful ballad, love it. I listened to that album right before right before we did this episode today, and I I loved it. That was my first time actually sitting down and like listening to that whole album, and it was phenomenal. I thought they did a pretty good job. I like how they ended Lucy in the Sky with diamonds with like Eau Claire. Yeah, they, they they threw in some little some cool little uh, cheap trick stuff in there. Yeah, I thought that was a great. I thought that was a really great album. I thought they did an amazing job. They they stayed true to it, but they also added some of their own stuff to it to make it you know interesting. Uh, Ralph, uh, two two questions. First, what do you think of that cheap trick Sgt. Pepper album? Just curious. <laughs> I never listened to it myself. Um, I love it more if Robin sang the whole damn thing. I didn't, I didn't thing. like. I didn't like when those people came in and started singing songs. They didn't sing bad, but it's a cheap trick album. What the fuck? And I gotta go with Ryan, man, dude. That version of "She's Leaving Home" is so. It's like, dude, that makes the fur rise. How Robin sings that song? To me, Robin's the greatest singer. Him and, and Elvis, they're my both greatest singers ever. And what he does on "She's Leaving Home" is just unbelievable. And yeah, I own the the DVD and I own the vinyl. I mean, not the vinyl, the CD. Uh, I love it, but but I am disappointed that Robin didn't sing the whole thing. They brought in, I was like, who the fuck is that singing? Yeah, no <laughs> one's going to be better than Robin Zander. Yeah, why are you going to put somebody else in there? And then it's like, fuck it, I don't care how good you sing. Robin Zander. He's the man of a thousand voices. He can, yeah. he can do all the Beatles voices. Rules. Yeah, it's like, dude, Robin Zander's on stage. What are you doing here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> that, that Robin, you know, if you're unless you're gonna do, I know what I want, or fucking wait for the man. Uh, let Robin sing this whole damn thing, you know. So, but uh, yeah. Real quick, real quick side note on Cheap Trick. Did you guys see that little residency they just did in Vegas where they played like a ton of deep tracks? No, I did not. Charlie Hill did. Uh, Charlie Hill was at one of them. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, he was at one of them. Then I have seen it. Yes. Well, they, they yeah. literally did decades or something like that, where, like, the first night they only played from, like, the first album through uh, Budokan, and then the second night they played, you know, the next five albums, and the next night they played the next five albums. I have been, like, wishing they would do something like that forever. Go take a look at setlist.com those four nights. Um, it's amazing how many deep tracks that they haven't played either in years or ever. 
So uh, is there so there's a night where someone has to go and watch them play songs from the doctor to bust it? Oh god. <laughs> actually, I think that's the show that Charlie was at and I actually I like a lot of those songs. I like some of the songs from those albums. But I just I, I just see a fucking doctor after listening to the the doctor. Holy oh, shit. That but you know that's where the hardcore fans it's their time to shine that's when charlie hill goes oh yeah finally <laughs> but they, they only they played two songs from the doctor and i like both songs they're probably the only two which i love uh take me to the top is my they favorite played song. take me to the top and they played the single uh oh, it's only love yeah 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 I, I i like the doctor man i don't i the one i dislike the most is stand on the edge which everybody loves I don't I like, like that. I do not like that album, man. I, I like the Doctor better in Standing on the Edge. Yeah, I just, uh, you know, I mean, I like some songs from Lap of Luxury. I even like some songs from Busted, you know. But, yeah, nothing tops the, the original 70 stuff. But, you know, 97 came down close. And, I, and it, well, no, it was about the Beatles. Hey, invite me <laughs> back to, to Cheap Trick because I was about to go on a spiel. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, so, so bringing it back, we had our little pocket of cheap trick there. Uh, she's uh, living home. Uh, she's I'm, living home. The the original Beatles version, written by Paul McCartney and sung by Paul McCartney. What do you think of this song, Ralph? <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's beautiful. It's like it's such a gorgeous, lush ballad. That's you know kind of sad. You know, you picture the wife and the husband at the doorway. Where the fuck is she? You know. And uh, it's just it's just very heartfelt, and and the vocals are amazing, the harmonies, and and, and I love John's voice in it. When you hear him, you know, in the background, like you know, whatever, what, what uh, now I can't. I'm worse with lyrics. <laughs> um, you know, when the dad is saying, "What have we done to her?" Whatever we that, get, like he's saying, like we gave her most, yeah, like shit yeah, like that. Yeah, there you go. We gave her most of our lives. You hear John in that predominantly and it's really cool i just love his voice and how it sounds on that song and you know paula hitting the the real high notes and shit it's beautiful and it's all you know it's not a it's not a rock song it's just i don't know what the fuck it is all i know it's awesome (laughs) you go eric i'm gonna be last on this oh man she's leaving home this song's phenomenal and uh it's funny because uh when me and my wife in uh november were moving from our old place to uh, our apartment that we are, we're living in now, one of these days, one of those days, like I was packing, I was like taking apart like her computer desk and like uh, the stuff in her office room, and uh, I need to listen to some music, so I decided to play Sgt. Pepper. And she walked in during that song, and she's like, "Why the fuck you listen to such depressing ass music right now?" Because <laughs> um, it, it, it is, it's a pretty sad song, you know. And it's uh, did Ryan, did you while I was gone, did you explain the story? Uh, behind the song? Yeah, I, I just basically... Said, yeah. From what I understand, it's just a couple where their daughter's leaving home and she's met a guy and, you know, they're having trouble. Well, no, this this is actually based on an actual... It, it's a weird situation. There's a video on YouTube about but uh, it. But it was based on an article Paul McCartney saw about this girl that ran away from home. She came from, like, a rich family. The thing was, this girl, uh, like, a couple years earlier... Um, he had, uh, he was a guest on a TV show where they had a contest with these little girls where they had the contest you could do the best job doing a dance and mimicking, like, lip-syncing to a song, and this girl won, and she actually got to meet Paul McCartney, like, after she won, and, like, you know, talk with him on live TV, and that girl that was being talked about in the article that he wrote the song about ended up being that same girl, 
uh, they, there's like a whole video on YouTube, and it's just such a weird coincidence. But this is a beautiful song, really melancholy, and uh, yeah, it's not not a rock song, real like uh, the word I would probably use like whimsical. Like this sounds like some shit you may see like in an old timey like Disney movie or something. You know, it's just real whimsical, real real happy. Uh, well, not happy, but I mean like real like kind of sappy and sad, but it's just phenomenal. Just you know, it can bring a tear to your eye. Edwin, what do you think about She's Leaving Home? Alright, here we go. Okay, this is where I become the bad guy. Say hello Ooh. to the goodbye. <laughs> Say hello to the good, the bad guy. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, I hate this song. This is my least favorite Beatles song. <laughs> oh, I do not like this song. Um, yeah, to me, it's like Eleanor Rig. It's Eleanor Rigby minus awesome pl- plus suck. It's just, uh, it's it's an orchestra, and it's like, they already did this. This is the one thing where they did it on the last, well, no, there's two cases, actually, uh, where they did something that I feel they did on the last album, but better. They already, we already got the song where McCartney sings about, like, people, and there's an orchestra, <laughs> you know, he sings about people, and there's an orchestra behind him, and just him. And it was better, Elder Rigby, it was, it was dark. It was short, it was sweet, and it had uh, better, more existential lyrics. This is therapy. I mean, it's if you love it, that's fine. And I would like to hear Robin Zander sing it, because I'm sure he would probably sing it better than McCartney. I think oh, McCartney, it's beautiful the way he sings it. I love McCartney singing most of the time, but I feel he's a little limp here. Like, Harry Nielsen does a version of this, too, which I've heard, which I actually like better than this version, because I think Harry sings it a little bit better. But... I don't know, it just sounds kind of limp to me, and Lennon's vocals in the back, it all just sounds like try hard, and like, ooh, we're trying to sing a a sweet, important song, and I don't know, I just don't like it. To, it, to, to me, it sounds like, like you said, Eric, sounds like a fucking Disney song, and I don't like Disney music, I don't like that shit, so I, I don't like it, it's too Disney-fied for me, and I don't even like the lyrics, I think they're kind of bullshitty, I mean, I could tell you something, maybe money can't buy you love not real love anyway but it can buy you fun you know there's that say oh fun is the one thing money can't buy let me tell you money can buy you a lot of fucking fun. Dude, money can <laughs> buy you beatles albums case <laughs> exactly so, so i don't know i i just don't like this song sorry it's my least favorite beatles song it's it's like after getting better and fixing the hole i was like starting to really get into this album and this this fucking song comes on do not like it so Wait, I, and i it- tried is it worse than Octop? Do you like it better than Octopus's Garden? Yeah, I, well, it's my least favorite Beatles song. So I. You like Revolution Nine better than She's I Leaving like, Home? Yeah, Revolution Nine. It's trippy. It's weird. There's some cool sound sound effects. I on do it. like Revolution Nine as well. <laughs> I, <don't laughs> I take think a lot that of shit for it. Song, and I don't always listen to it. Like I kind of think of Revolution Nine and Good Night as bonus tracks on the White Album. Like it ends with Cry Baby Cry. Like that's I the just last. Can't, I can listen to them. I just gotta listen. Like. If I'm listening to a white album, like as just an album, if I'm listening to the whole thing yeah. start to finish, I have to hear those songs. Or it's yeah, it's sweet. like a, to me, it's like a sound effect. It's it's like FX it's scary, for, yeah, for Supernaut. It's just like it's part of the album. It's not a song. Hey man, hey hey hey, come on, man. that's not bullshit. Everybody here, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It sucks. <laughs> that is not even fuck. That is like I think that is made. I mean, they should just say, instead of saying number nine the whole time, it's like, record's over, record's over. But that's the thing, it's at the end, which <laughs> I like. Lift the needle, lift the needle. It's kind of like the sound effect at the end of this album, but it just goes on longer. But you have that option. You can just stop with Cry Baby Cry. And, and it's that's like the an option I always take. Yeah. 
it's a good <laughs> option. But whereas she's leaving home, that's smack damn in the middle of this fucking album. So I can't do that. So, <laughs> uh, I just, like I said, one of the Beatles songs has to be my least favorite. And I don't really count Revolution 9 as a real song. I kind of consider it just this weird thing at the end of an album. Uh, so uh, in terms of proper Beatles songs, this is my least favorite. I just don't like it. It ain't, for, it's a, ain't, it ain't. Thank you. 